0: hello friends and a special hello friends and a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. Uh, And if you're here for the first time, we normally don't meet in a tent, so you should know that right out of the gate. Um, But before I get going, I need to give a special shout out to the DR team that just returned. Where are you at, DR team? Anybody here? Yes. Very good. It's like proud pastor moment, right? The DR team comes back and they have some amazing stories and they're going to share a video with us next week. uh, But Ryan King, who makes the videos, got back from the DR this week, was the best man at a wedding yesterday, and now is on his way to West Virginia with a bunch of middle schoolers. So if you are a praying person, please pray for Ryan, right? What better way to cap off an international trip to the Caribbean where it's really hot than getting on a van with a bunch of middle schoolers. It'll be great. So that's awesome. Also, I had to give a special shout out. I've got some friends that are with us this morning, Uh, They live in Pucallpa, Peru, which, assuming you've never been there, is in the Amazon jungle. Uh, And they're back here for the first time in about three years. Uh, We had uh, lunch with them yesterday, and they informed me they were joining Keystone uh, for our time today. And I said, what is your favorite thing that you're looking forward to uh, being in the United States for church? And without missing a beat, he looked back at me and he goes, you know, honestly, um, to be inside in air conditioning... (laughs) Because they go to church in a tent every week. And I just said, oh, that's all I said. I just thought, that I'm just leaving it at that. So anyway, today we get to continue a series that we're actually going to wrap next week uh, called Find and Follow. And we get to, uh, this series is basically wanted to take some time this summer to remind us all of the story right at the heart of Keystone's mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And you may not know this, but over 20 years ago, Keystone was launched by a bunch of friends with a heart for people on the southeast side of Grand Rapids. And this core team believed something deep in them that drove them to plant this organization. They believed, and we'll put it up on the screen, that following Jesus makes your life better and actually makes you better at life. And they believed that they had experienced a little bit of this and they wanted their friends and their neighbors and their community to know and to be invited as well to follow Jesus. I mean, not only does he offer us a hope for what happens after this life, but by following him, we can actually learn a better way to be a human right here and right now. And so for eight weeks of summer, what we're doing is we're diving into the original accounts of Jesus' life. In your Bible, it's the first four books. They were really letters originally in the New Testament, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And basically what we're doing is we're trying to get our our heads and our hearts around what Jesus had in mind for his followers and for his church. And one of the things we said over and over in this series is that Jesus leans into us and invites us to move in counterintuitive ways, and in doing so, to find this better life. And today is no exception. We get to actually look at one of the most counterintuitive things that Jesus taught. But to get us going in that direction, I need to tell you about an assignment that I received many moons ago, let's say maybe over two decades ago, uh, when I was in seminary, which is college for pastors uh, at Calvin, just up the road here. And I was in a class for people who were trying to understand what it looked like to lead in a local church. And so the professor was incredibly creative and one day wanted us to write a three-page composition answering the following question. He said, I want you to ask this question. If Jesus had lunch with the president of these United States, what would he say? Right? Isn't that awesome? I just thought that was was really fun. I mean, how would Jesus encourage the leader of the free world to lead well? What would he say to the most powerful person on the planet? Now, it was 1998, and we had the saxophone playing president, William Jefferson Clinton, in the White House. And so I was thinking, well, I know kind of a little bit about Clinton, and I know a little bit about Jesus. And so kind of put the two together. What would Jesus say about leadership to a leader? And I had to acknowledge Jesus himself was an absolutely amazing leader. If you think about it, he built a global brand that's lasted for thousands of years and has hundreds of thousands of franchises all over the world. If you're in business, you should be envious, right? 2,000 years later, we are halfway around the world talking about him. That is astonishing. But what would Jesus tell someone leading today? And so I thought, you know, if I have to do this and we're in seminary, Probably the best place to go to figure out what Jesus might say would be the accounts of Jesus' life. So I just opened up to Matthew page one and began to read and ask that question. And I quickly discovered what I believe to be an answer. I quickly understood that I think Jesus taught and modeled an incredibly counterintuitive and incredibly powerful type of leadership. So what I'm going to do with our time together today, and it's going to be intense, Oh, really? Come on. A joke doesn't get better. All right. I want to listen in on a conversation Jesus had with his first disciples. And in it, I believe he shares the secret to great leadership and in many ways, a great life. So even if you're not the president of the United States, which would be all of us, I believe there's something powerful of all of us here. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, uh, you don't really get to pick and choose. This is sort of what he invites us to do. But, but if you're not a Jesus follower, I think, still think there's something here for you um, about how he wants you to live and lead. So let me set it up for you. Jesus and his followers are on their way to Jerusalem. And when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, they're constantly going from the Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. And I've been there and it's about 90 miles. So when it says Jesus went to Jerusalem, just be like, that's a long walk. And it is. Um, And along the way, Jesus talks to his disciples about what to do when they find themselves in positions of authority because in short order, they did. And the conversation is recorded for us by a man named Mark. Now, Mark would not have been there when Jesus said this, but Mark later got with Peter, who was there, and recorded down Peter's observations about what Jesus said and Jesus did. So if you have a Bible, it'll be in Mark chapter 10. If you don't, the verses will magically appear on the screen. Uh, Here's what Mark tells us. Happened that day. It said, they, so Jesus and the disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, which, by the way, is how it always worked. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the Jedi master. Everyone else follows. Okay. Uh, Again, as in Jesus had done this before, he took the 12 aside, so he had those 12 guys that were his inner circle, and told them what was going to happen to him. And this is significant because Jesus keeps trying to explain something to his disciples, and they are not getting it. He's trying to say to them, listen, following me really has been pretty great so far, right? We get more and more popular, you see more and more miracles, we're gaining influence, but that's all about to change. So far, we've been dodging the persecution of the Jewish religious establishment, but that's about to change as well. See, the disciples thought that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was, but they believed the Messiah was going to come and basically push Rome out of Israel and restore Israel to prominence and prosperity on the world stage. Jesus is trying to say, you know, I am the Messiah, but that's not quite how it's going to go down. So he says, uh, here's what's about going to happen to him. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, and they would have understood Jesus was speaking about himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over, to the chief priests and teachers of the law. The religious leaders are going to capture me. In other words, you've seen how they've been trying. They haven't been successful yet, but they will be soon. He says they will condemn him to death. And I love Jesus is talking about himself in the third person. Anyway, they'll condemn him to death. will hand him over to the Gentiles. That's the Romans who will, and get this, it gets graphic, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then here's the shocking part. And on the third day, he will rise. So Jesus is having this like heart-to-heart moment with his closest followers. He says, you don't know this yet, but there are storm clouds on the horizon of my life. And when they roll in, you're going to get wet too because of your proximity to me. I don't want you to be surprised. I want you to be ready. Now check out how two of Jesus' disciples respond to this incredible and tragic news. Mark tells us, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. And you think, I wonder what they're going to say. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that brilliant? That's really what they said. And that's really the next verse. It's almost like they said to Jesus, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry about the whole flogging and spitting and mocking and dying stuff. But hey, um, can you do us a favor? And, And we think, how could this happen? And as I was reflecting on this moment and what Jesus must have felt like, I thought, oh, I've totally felt this way, and my my bet is you have too, if you have kids or if you have grandkids, okay? Now, you know I have four boys. This is the 4th of July photo this year. Notice the matching camo bathing suits. Thank you, Amazon.com. But anyway, uh, so I remember last Thanksgiving, we had this pre Thanksgiving feast with just our family and my was like we need to tell the boys how much they mean to us and how much we love them and say something nice about each one of them and she's like I think you should do it and just you know just just kind of think it through and maybe pray over them and so we had this moment we had this candles lit and the whole deal and everybody's arguing about who gets to blow out the candles and I'm like guys lean in okay we want you to know how much we love you i mean we love you so much it hurts right? And we see so much potential in you. We're so thankful to God for you. And, 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 and I mean, I was like, my dad game was in rare form, okay? This was, this was a good moment. And they're all kind of leaning in and they're blinking at me with the big blue eyes, right? And, and then all of a sudden I said, you know, do you guys have any questions? And I remember one of them raised their hand, which I thought was great, right? Raised their hand and said, yeah, can we go play Mario Kart? And I'm like, this is my moment. You, I mean, I am trying to pour my heart out to you. Mario Kart. And then another one raises his hand and says, uh, yeah, yeah, dad. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, do you know when you get really intense, you blink a lot? Yeah. And I'm like, what? I mean, I, I, am, I am trying to get a moment. Anyway, that I, I think that's how Jesus felt in that moment. So he had just poured out his heart and his disciples wanted him to do a favor for them. So he asked them what they want because he's Jesus and he's gracious. And James and John sort of pulled Jesus off to the side. And here's what they asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. In other words, after all the spitting and flogging and dying stuff is over, we have a request. We believe that someday you're going to be the king. And when you're the king, we want to be in the thrones on the right, and the left of you, two best seats in the kingdom. Translation, in this moment, their greatest concern is themselves. They really aren't that concerned with what's going to happen to Jesus. They're, what's, they're concerned about what's going to happen to them. It's like, Jesus, we know eventually you're going to get the penthouse corner office. But like, you know, there's like offices next to that office. We would like to be there. And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't get it. You're not up to this. Even if I said yes, you couldn't handle it. And as Jesus is sort of fending them off, they're discovered. Check out what Mark tells us. When the 10, that's like the other 10, there were 12, and then James and John pulled them away. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Like, how dare they? And just to be clear, they weren't indignant at the insensitivity that James and John were showing to Jesus. They were indignant because they wanted the best seats in the house, right? Right? Like, how dare you guys try to get ahead of us? We want to be the greatest too. So there's a big fight over who gets what when Jesus becomes king. And Jesus realizes in this moment that his disciples have completely missed the point. He's about to go to Jerusalem to be betrayed and mocked and crucified. The reins of the church are about to be handed to these knuckleheads. And they're not getting like the most important thing. He's like, I've been modeling something and you're not getting it. So Jesus calls a timeout and he does like a locker room huddle. You familiar with these? Sports fans, right? I was never in organized sports. I've never been in one, but I have seen movies, okay, where they have the locker room talk. So I kind of get the concept. And so Jesus basically pulls them together and says, before we get to Jerusalem, we need to clarify something again. And I need you to understand Again, what leadership looks like if you want to honor God as you lead. I want you to understand with blazing clarity how to lead when you have authority. And by the way, this passage is the passage I drew on when I wrote my essay, three pages, on what I think Jesus would say if you got to have lunch with William Jefferson Clinton. Okay, so here is what I think Jesus would say. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, in other words, the leaders within the Roman Empire, the leaders that are all around you, you know that those who are regarded as leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, if they're in authority, they believe they're in authority for their benefit and everyone they're over is there to serve them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. He says that's how it works. In our world, if you've got the power, you use it for your benefit. Everyone under you is there to serve you. And if you're the king, then everybody serves you. It's all about you. In our world, it might look like this. Like if you're at the top of an organization, maybe you have like five direct reports who work to you, who report to you, and you, you would think maybe if you follow what was naturally, they are there for my benefit. And each of those people probably has five reports that, direct reports that report to them, and they think the people under you, that those people are for their benefit, but they're ultimately for your benefit too. Whoever's at the top has everyone else serve them. And that's the point or the goal of authority in our world. That's what comes naturally. If we just take up our feet and allow the current of culture to carry us along, that's where we go. And I think the disciples are nodding at this point. That's why they want to be in charge. They don't want to be lorded over. They want to be doing the lording, right? I mean, then they're like with Jesus and he seems to have all the power. So like if we can stay close to Jesus, then we'll get more for us. And Jesus smiles. And then this was the showstopper. He says, this is what happens if you follow what comes naturally. Four words, not so with you. And I think they all sighed and were very confused. In other words, you know how it works, but that's not what I want for you. You've seen how it operates in the Roman Empire. You've seen how it operates in society. You've seen how it operates in culture. Not so with you. And as Jesus continues, he flips that whole thought, that whole image of organizational leadership on its head. He says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to lead like I lead. Here's what he says. Not so with you. Instead, here's the other option. Whoever wants to be great among you, which is everybody, here's how you do it. And great in this context means to lead or rule or be the boss. He's like, would you like to be responsible for great things? He says, okay, here's how it works if you're going to follow me. Instead, he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, like you want to make the shots and the deci- call the shots, and make the decisions, must be slave of all. At which point, I think the disciples thought that will never work. I mean, no one will ever get anything done. Jesus, you just took everything we know about authority and turned it on its head. And to be fair, when you hear something like this, it is so natural to be skeptical. I mean, it sounds nice in theory, but not in the workplace, in the corporate world, in the marketplace. I mean, Jesus can't literally be expecting us to do this, can he? And here's the thing. A Jesus follower can't just follow Jesus on Sunday mornings. You can't just follow him when you're like disciplining your kids or, or loving your spouse. If you're really going to follow Jesus, we need to take him seriously in this too. And to be clear, Jesus is not arguing against point leadership. I mean, Jesus was a point leader and he appointed other point leaders. And Jesus isn't saying that you sort of stand at the door and let everyone else in. He didn't. He got an extraordinary amount of things done and so did his followers. So he's not arguing for passivity and he's not arguing against productivity. Instead, Jesus invites us, and this is our big idea for today, he invites us to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Jesus invites us to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. And this can happen at home. This can happen at work. This can happen in our community. This can happen in a homeowners association. Come on now, right? Now we're te- now we're now we're preaching, right? You're like, I can't believe he brought that up. Yeah, okay. Uh, and and here's why. If you've ever seen this done, if somebody's actually done this, you know it's a game changer. Because if you believe that you are only here for you, then you only look out for you. It's about your career or your reputation or your advancement. But if you work for somebody who follows Jesus, you know the difference that can make because they believe that they're not just here for them they're here for you too when you when your boss believes that their job is to be here for you everything changes and friends that is how Jesus wants us to lead to lead not from a position of dominance but to to approach it and say hey if I'm the boss I'm the lead servant and some of you read business books like I do because we're weird a little bit right and you're like I've heard this before and you have heard this before every so often a author comes along and writes a book that shoots to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and they say the same thing isn't that crazy I'm like I'm about to write one because if I can sell a bunch of books that'd be great right um, a really, really memorable one for a whole bunch of us uh, was written in 2001 by a man named Jim Collins. It's called Good to Great. And in Good to Great, Jim Collins identifies what he calls a level five leader. And that he says that's what a great leader in business looks like, level five. And he asks, what do great companies led by great people have in common? And before doing the research, Jim assumed it was charisma But he was wrong. When he did the research, what he discovered was that the distinguishing characteristic of a great leader in a great business was humility. He comes to the conclusion that there is a tension within great leaders that is an incredibly redemptive tension. Here's what he writes. He says, level five leaders embody a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. They're ambitious to be sure, but ambitious for the company, not themselves. He says it's a humility that's so compelling, it draws people in their direction. So in this book, Jim wasn't saying what he thinks great leaders should do. This isn't something people have aspired to. This is actually what great leaders do. And I'm sure that up in heaven in the reading room, Jesus read this book and was like, Jim, buddy, you gotta send me some royalties here, right? Because 2,000 years ago, I said the same thing. I said to my followers, if you're going to follow me, flip the organizational pyramid upside down. The more authority you have, the more responsibility you have to leverage that authority to help others. You leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Now, throughout this series, we've said that if you follow Jesus, you will do life better and you will be better at doing life. And one of the reasons I believe this is because of what we're discussing today. If you've ever worked for someone who had your best interests in mind, you know what a powerful and replenishing and life-giving environment that can be. And if you've ever worked for someone who, where it's all about them, you know that everyone around them is secretly looking for somewhere else to work, right? And the only reason they're still there is because they haven't found something yet or they can't afford to physically move. So if you're a Jesus follower or if you're planning to be a Jesus follower, I would encourage you to accept his invitation and begin to organize your life in such a way that you think about yourself as being there to serve those under your care or under your authority. So 1998, I turned in this paper and it haunts me in wonderful ways. And it starts to impact the way I led in the local church. It starts to impact the way that I serve at my house. And so what I just did was I developed this habit where I regularly ask those who work for us at church or for me, with a simple, powerful question. And it's an incredible question and it's super easy to remember. And it goes like this Are you ready? You note taker, you can write it down. She'll never remember it. Just kidding. How can I help? How can I help? How can I bring my resources or my authority or my influence to help you? It's simple, it's beautiful, and friends, it's right at the heart of the gospel. If you, the gospel is the good news of what God did for us in Jesus, you just. You just imagine God in some cosmic way looking down at our sin-filled world and saying they're a mess and they can't do anything about it on their own. They need help. And it's like God the Father says, how do I intervene? How do I leverage what's under my authority to help them? I mean, you think about this. Do you realize what would happen if you actually did this at work or at home? Because like almost no one in our culture asks this question. I mean, let's say you're a manager at a big company in town, and you just stop in cubicle land tomorrow morning, and just say, hey, guys, how can I help? And they'd all dive under their desks, right? Because, like, nobody does this, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, no, no, no. I mean, and maybe for you, like, that's been your heart for a long time, but you've never verbalized it. Just like, is there anything you need to do? Is there anything you need from me to do what you need to do? And I'm telling you, it changes the environment. I mean, you start asking this question, people will, like, pass out, because... Because they, 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 no one's ever asked them that before. And that's that's why what Jesus says is so powerful. It's the hallmark of great leadership, and it's what Jesus modeled. And at the end of the passage, this little conversation, um, Jesus actually takes all of our excuses away, all of our yeah, buts, yeah, but, right? Um, here's, what, here's what Jesus says as he concludes this passage. He says, for even the Son of Man, again, speaking of himself, and they knew it, did not come to be served. And by the way, if... Being in power and being in authority meant everybody served you. No one had more authority and power than Jesus. He says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. In other words, he went first. He went first. He didn't just teach this. He modeled this. He showed this. And then he said to you and to me to follow. So even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, I mean, Jesus took this all the way to the cross and then he invites us 2,000 years later to follow him, to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. If you can do this, your people under you will be better off. But here's the, here's the paradox, so will you. So I wanna leave you with a question, a little homework. Um, it goes like this, who can you help tomorrow? And the reason I say tomorrow is because this stuff is compelling, but we're all busy, and we'll go to Panera afterwards, and we'll forget it, right? And, and, and so just to think about that, who could you help tomorrow? Who could you serve tomorrow who's under your authority right now? Who could you walk up to tomorrow morning, first thing you say, hey, how can I help? Give everything you need? I just want you to know I'm here for you. I dare you to give it a try and see what happens. Will you stand and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the tent. We're thankful for the words of your son that challenge us and over and over again point us to where the life is found. I pray that we would go forth with a fresh clarity on the mission that you have for followers of your son, that we might bring hope, we might bring help, we might bring life everywhere we go. We thank you for sunshine and a beautiful day. We thank you for this community and the difference that you're making through us here and even around the world. We bless you in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Everyone said amen. Friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of Find and Follow.